So please do turn to Romans chapter 8, and if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. We'll focus on 5 through 14 this morning, but we start at the beginning to give us the context. Here we go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, beloved, God's desire for you is that you would walk in holiness. God says to his people, be holy for I am holy. Holy, And just as there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so also there are none in Christ Jesus who are not holy and being made holy. Or we could say it this way, if you are in Christ, you have been made holy and you are being made holy. The author to the Hebrews says this in chapter 10 verse 14, for by a single offering... He, God, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And this is what we are seeing in our study of the book of Romans. Remember our very simple outline, guilt, grace, and gratitude. This is the the thread throughout Romans. We began with that section on guilt. God was showing us through the Apostle Paul our need for salvation through Christ. Our guilt before the Holy God, that we are sinners in need of a savior. And then we saw the wonderful grace that God has poured out on us through his own son, Jesus Christ. How can our sins be forgiven? How can we be made right or righteous before a holy God? It is through Jesus Christ alone. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so then, uh, roughly chapters three through chapter six, we were focused on our justification. How we are made right before God, that 
being perfected for all time portion of our Christian life, that justification. And then beginning in verse 6 and now continuing on through chapter 8, Paul has shifted that focus not to how we are made right with God, but now how we live once we have been made right with God. Or in other words, our sanctification. That those who are being sanctified portion of that verse from Hebrews chapter 10. So Paul now is telling us how through our union with Christ, God is at work in our lives to make us righteous in practice. We are already perfectly righteous in his sight because when he sees you, he sees his beloved son, Jesus. And now we are learning to walk by the spirit so that our practice would reflect the reality that is our lives before the holy God. God wants our lives to reflect the character and the priorities of his own son, Jesus. That we would love one another as Christ has loved us. And so now we come to Romans chapter 8. And here Paul puts the spotlight on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit as God's agent of sanctification in our lives. And he tells us that those who are in Christ Jesus are to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And here Paul contrasts life in the flesh, or better said, death in the flesh, with life in the Spirit. And he wants believers to know you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. He also writes to help us see what it means to have the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us. So we want to look at that this morning. We want to begin by looking at that contrast. Death in the flesh with life in the Spirit. The contrast between those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. Now when we hear that term flesh, Paul is talking about human nature as corrupted and directed and controlled by sin. And in verse 5 he says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now that phrase, set their minds, Paul's not just talking about what you think about. It's not just what you focus on. He's referring to a mindset, a way of thinking. Some might say a worldview. So this is the way you think, not just what you think about. It's your entire outlook on life, your whole approach to life. And those who live according to the flesh, remember the flesh is human nature as corrupted and directed and controlled by sin, those who live in that way according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Their way of thinking, their whole approach to life is godless. It is dominated by sin, by lies. It's not shaped by the truth or the light of God and his word. This is a worldly way of thinking and living. It's dominated by the desires of the body, of the material world, with no reference to God, no reference to his world, no reference to things unseen. So what does that kind of thinking, that way of living, lead to? What is the fruit of setting your mind on the flesh? For some, setting your mind on the flesh, the things of the flesh, leads to a life of violence and fear. 
And we can see this in the world around us. After all, if there's not a just God, a judge to whom vengeance belongs, then I must get my own revenge through violence. Repay evil with evil. This could be relational violence. Not necessarily outward physical violence, but a relational violence that cuts off friendships and fellowship with others when conflict arises. Or it could be actual physical violence. And our world is out of control. From youth sports to road rage to mass shootings, we see the bad fruit of this everywhere. And it is devastating. A life without reference to God. What does this lead to? Living according to the flesh. For some, it leads to the abuse of the body or abuse of children. In our world today, gender-affirming treatment is referred to as health care. There is no fear of God, no acknowledgement of God as creator, that he has created every human being in his own image, male and female, he created them. So instead of sexuality and gender seen as intentional good gifts from God, they are seen as social constructs, things that we make up and that we can change at our own will as we see fit. What does a life with a mind set on the flesh lead to? What's the fruit of it? For others, for some, for many, it leads to the worship of money and power and pleasure. If this world is all there is, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, those who live according to the flesh, remember, human nature as corrupted, directed, controlled by sin, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Their, their whole way of thinking is without reference to God. No thought of God, of his word, of his will. No love for Jesus as God and Savior. And to live in this way, to set your mind on the flesh, is death. It is death. It's it's not just that this way of living is wrong. That it is offensive to the holy God who made you. That it doesn't honor God as God. It's not just that it's wrong. It's destructive. Living in this way harms and hurts both yourself and others, and it cannot satisfy. In the end, it can only disappoint. It leads to ruin and to misery, often in this life, but always in eternity, if God does not intervene and rescue you through the grace of his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul says the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. That is, it is an enemy of God. It does not submit to God's law. It is a rebel against God's law. And it cannot, it is unable to please God. It has no desire, no ability to submit to or please God. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here we see this contrast. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So what does this mean? This means if your mind is set on the things of the Spirit, you believe that God exists. 
You believe that he rewards those who seek him, and so that is what you do. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You now live to please God. The orientation of your life is around pleasing God, not yourself. This is a change that God has brought about in your life. So your entire life is now oriented toward or around God. Your whole approach to life, your whole way of thinking, your understanding of what is true and good and right, what you value, what is significant to you, that's all now determined by the holy God, the triune God, your creator, your king, your savior. And what you treasure most in life is God's son, Jesus Christ, who suffered once for your sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Note that word concluded. Paul's saying, we've thought about this. We have considered this. We've, we've set our minds on this. So now this shapes our entire approach to life. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. It changes the way we think about the world. What does? The love of Christ. And what did he do? That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So beloved, what is it that has changed our entire outlook on life, our entire approach to life, how we see the world, its purpose, our own lives within it? What is it that has made that change? It is nothing less than the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Or we might think of it as how Paul summarizes it here at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law could not do, weakened by the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who now walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit because this is true it changes our whole way of looking at the world at ourselves at others and how we live now back to second corinthians 5 for a moment paul says from now on, so, so because those things are true, from now on, therefore, remember, you hear that word therefore, what's it there for? Because of what he just said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, from now on, therefore, because the gospel is true, because Jesus died and rose again, we regard no one according to the flesh. So we don't look at the world that way anymore. When we see other people, we don't think of them only according to the flesh. We no longer view or value, or treat people according to the flesh. That is, human nature, corrupted, controlled, directed by sin. What do we do now? Now we know that it is a privilege to know any other person. That every single one has been formed and fashioned by the hand of their creator. 
the one true God, made by God in his image for his glory with an eternal soul that will either one day enjoy God forever in heaven, beholding Jesus with their very own eyes, or will suffer God's just punishment for sin forever in hell. Beloved, the gospel completely changes how we view and value and love and serve people. All people. That's why we say all are welcome. We value every person created in the image of God. It also completely changes how we view and how we value, how we love and how we serve Jesus Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So what does this mean? See, we used to view Jesus according to the flesh. Perhaps we saw him as a good teacher or even a holy prophet or simply a good human being. But no, now we know that Jesus is much more than that. Jesus is God himself in the flesh, the Holy One of God sent by God himself to save us. So now he is our life, our joy, our treasure. We love him who first loved us and now we live for him, for the sake of his name, for his glory. Beloved, in Christ, we are a new creation. And as new creations in Christ, we set our minds on the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh. Because we know the things of the flesh result in death. And we have been taken out of death and brought into life. Verse 6 says that instead of death, this life in the spirit is life and peace. Verse 10 tells us the spirit is life because of righteousness. So beloved, you are now alive to God. You're alive to the things of God. You are alive to his word. What did those disciples say on the road to Emmaus? Did our hearts not burn within us? That's what happens when you're alive to the word of God and the spirit brings it to life in you. You now know that these are not just mere words of men. They're the words of God. They're life-giving. They're true forever. So you're alive to the things of God. You're alive to his word. You're alive to his people. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are alive to worshiping God together with his people. So to live according to the Spirit, to be a growing, healthy, mature disciple of Jesus Christ, these things must be a part of your life. The worship of the triune God, the truth of his word, fellowship with his people. This is part of your whole approach to life, your new way of thinking. And beloved, if you have no desire for the things of God, For God himself, no love for Jesus as your savior, no hunger for his word or his righteousness, no desire to fellowship with his people, no commitment to worshiping him on the Lord's day, that could be a sign of death in your life. And if that is true, I would urge you to pray that God would give you the desire for the things of God and then begin to pursue that desire. Don't just ask God to give it to you. Act on it. Do the things that you're praying for and see if that desire would then grow. Now, one thing we must acknowledge is this, that seasons of sin and suffering can affect your desires for the things of God. So if you are right now in a season where your desire for the things of the Spirit, for the things of God, 
is low. I would encourage you to examine yourself. To ask the Lord to show you your heart. Could it be that you're in a season of sin or suffering? And if God reveals it's a season of sin, the response is to repent. To acknowledge that before the Lord and to ask him once again to cleanse you with the blood of Christ. To know that you are forgiven and to strengthen you to walk in new obedience. So if it's a season of sin, the response is to repent and look to the cross of Christ again. Let his love win your love once again. But what if it's a season of suffering? Perhaps your desires are low this morning and it's not due to specific sin of your own life, but just suffering that you are experiencing as a child of God. That's part of our lives as children of God. I would urge you to cry out to God for mercy, for comfort, for strength to do what you know is the good and right thing to do, even though it may be hard. The temptation in our suffering is to withdraw from the things of God, the very things that we need. But I urge you to cry out to God for the power of the Holy Spirit within you to strengthen you to do what you know is good and right and necessary. In Romans chapter 8, Paul shows us this contrast between death in the flesh and life in the spirit. And he says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in the spirit? Or perhaps better, what does it mean to have the Spirit in you. Look at verse 9. Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So to be in the Spirit is to have the Spirit of the living God dwelling or living in you. This means that for those who are in Christ, you are never truly alone. Truly, you are never alone. The spirit of the living God dwells in you, always, everywhere. No matter where you are, whatever you do, wherever you go, God himself is with you, dwelling in you by his spirit. This is a great blessing for the children of God in many ways. One simple truth it means is that you can talk to God. You can enjoy true fellowship with him at any time, any place. And so you are never alone. You are never on your own. And you are never without God's almighty power within you by his spirit to enable you to resist temptation and sin and to empower you to obey. So the spirit is always with you. Always with you to help you walk in the newness of life. So beloved, ask him to help you and trust him to do so. He will never say no to your cry for help. Never. He is with you to help you. So ask him to help you and trust him to do so. Rely not on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. You see, when you are in Christ Jesus, you're not meant to follow Jesus in your own strength, by your own willpower. Now you've, you've heard this before. I think I've shared this with you recently, that the right tools make all the difference. Right? We, we learned this lesson well over the last couple of years in remodeling our home. The right tools make all the difference. I want to ask you, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. If, if any of you were as foolish as me, did you, did you ever try to drill into brick or concrete with a regular drill? I tried that. It doesn't work so well. Putting up a clothesline in the back of our home and, and wanting to attach it to the brick behind our driveway, I was thinking, 
Why am I so tired? Why is this so hard? I'm using a drill. Well, yesterday, I had to drill some holes in concrete wall in our basement, and my son Luke came over, and he brought a hammer drill. Yeah. A hammer drill. You know what that is? I didn't know what that was. That's a great name, and it's a great tool, and it drilled through that concrete block like knife through soft butter. It was so fast and so easy. You see, a hammer drill has power within it that a regular drill does not have. So you can do things with it that you cannot do with a regular drill. So beloved, now that you are in Christ, you have a power within you that you did not have before. Before you were in the flesh and you could not please God. No matter how hard you would try, you could not do it. Truth is, you don't even try when you're in the flesh to truly please God. But it's impossible, you cannot do it. But now, by the almighty power of his spirit living in you, his loving, living spirit in you, you are able to put to death the deeds of the body and live to righteousness, amen? Amen. Not because of who you are, but because of who almighty God is within you. And so, beloved, you're never alone in this new life of faith, and you never walk in your own strength, or we might say you never walk in your own weakness, because you have the power of almighty God within you, and you now walk by the power of of the Holy Spirit. You are also never without God's personal and perfect counselor and comforter to carry you in your sorrows. So not only is there strength in obedience, there is also comfort in sorrow. So you are never alone. You are never unloved. You are never unseen. To be in the Spirit is to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you so you are never alone. It also means that you belong to Christ. Verse 9 says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So this means the opposite is true, that if you do have the Spirit of Christ, you do belong to Christ. This is one of the things that our baptism symbolizes that Colin just mentioned moments ago. You belong to Christ. So when we say, remember your baptism, one of the things we are saying is, remember whose you are. You're not your own. You belong to Christ. And there is both the comfort and the call of the gospel in this glorious truth. The fact that you belong to Christ means that God himself is now responsible for you. And he does not neglect his responsibilities. He's not like us. He's not forgetful. He doesn't overlook things. He pays attention to every little detail. So God is now responsible for you, and he will take care of you because you are his beloved child. We see that in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or daughters of God. Just this past Friday at Men's Prayer, uh, Vince Durace was sharing how he recently had seen some pictures of his children when they were just toddlers, just little. You know, now they're full grown and they're moving out of the house. And he was, in one sense, lamenting how quickly the time passes. But he remembered that those times and just the deep love that he has for his children. And then he turned to his thoughts towards God's love for him as a child. And he just was overwhelmed to think, as much as I love my own children, the Heavenly Father loves me. 
And I want you to think about this today, brothers and sisters. Think of your most cherished possession. The thing that is most valuable to you. Something that belongs to you. Now, it could be anything. For, for the, the range of people here this morning, children, you might think of a favorite toy. Or maybe you have a favorite Pokemon card. Or maybe as you're getting older, there's something you have that's of sentimental value. Maybe it was given to you by uh, a close friend or a relative. Maybe it's a car you have. Perhaps it's your first car that you have. Or maybe you remember that. It could be a home. It could be a pet. It could be a child or children. It could be a spouse. Whatever it may be, possessions or people that belong to us, that we're responsible for, our most cherished ones, we, we value them, we love them, we take care of them, we, we cherish them. Beloved, you belong to God. You belong to God. Now indulge me for a moment. Some of you children maybe have seen that movie Madagascar. It, it's an older movie. And I remember this scene from Madagascar. You know, there's these lemurs. It's one of those... Uh, cartoon movies and these lemurs gather in this meeting and they're discussing these four zoo animals that have escaped from New York they call them the New York Giants and they end up in Madagascar and the one lemur Willie he says I like them and then all of a sudden there's this other lemur Mort who who jumps up and he wants to argue with me he says I like them I liked them first before I even met them I liked them I saw them I liked them right away and then that line you remember that great line he says you hate them compared to how much I like them. Now think. Think of the person, the possession that you cherish the most. I know this is a silly example, but God could say to you, you hate them, whatever that is, compared to how much he loves you. Beloved, you belong to God. God's love for you is much deeper, purer, It is perfect. It is a holy love. It is a selfless love. You belong to God and he will take care of you. This is the comfort of the gospel. Every detail. Not a hair can fall from your head apart from the will of your father in heaven. The comfort of the gospel. Now there's also the call of the gospel in this truth. Because you belong to God by his Holy Spirit, he makes you wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. No longer for yourself, but for him. Because you're not your own anymore. So you no longer live just to please yourself. But now, it's your joy, your delight to submit to God and to live for him. Because your eyes have been opened to the love of Christ. The one who died for you. So that love now controls you so you no longer live for yourself but for him who for your sake died and was raised. To be in the spirit means that you belong to God forever. To be in the spirit also means that you will rise like Jesus. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also Give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here Paul tells us that God raised Jesus from the dead. God has almighty power to bring life out of death. To bring life after death. And the living spirit of this God with resurrection power dwells in you. And because he does, God himself will raise you back to life after you die. So, beloved, when you die, you will rise again just like Jesus did. 
This is guaranteed. It's not a question. It is guaranteed. Why? Because the life-giving spirit of the resurrecting God dwells in you and nothing can keep the almighty spirit of the living God in the grave. This is what he does. This is who he is. The spirit makes the dead live. And because he dwells in you, he's going to make you live after you die. It is guaranteed and it is a bodily, physical resurrection. Paul says... That the spirit is going to transform your lowly body and make it like unto the glorious body of your Lord Jesus Christ. So beloved, I know as we age, there are people in the proclamation family right now who are feeling this for themselves or maybe for a beloved relative. Our bodies start to wear out. We're getting a new one. A resurrected body. You are not in the flesh You are in the spirit and your ultimate end of life in the spirit is not death, but life, not condemnation, but glorification. Now, finally, to be in the spirit means that you are led by the spirit of God and the spirit enables you to put to death the deeds of the body. Verse 14, Paul says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. The spirit leads you. He guides you. He helps you to do, as verse 13 says, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. So, by those deeds of the body, Paul's talking about the deeds, the actions, the works that are produced when we live according to the flesh. When we live with no reference to God. Strictly focused on ourselves, on this life. And the fruit of a life that is lived without reference to God This is a life that refuses to submit to God's law. Paul's talking about sin. He's talking about that battle that we learned about in Romans chapter 7. And here, once again, he's giving us encouragement in the fight. Beloved, in your fight against sin, be encouraged. It is not a one-on-one fight. It's not you in the ring or in the cage, you in one corner and sin in the other in this fight to the death. No, that's not what it's like. There is a supernatural power on your side. An undefeatable power dwelling in you. You know, you'll remember, some of you will remember this. In the history of Israel, there was a time when the king of Syria was so angry with the prophet Elisha that he sent his entire army to get one man. He sent his entire army to get and surround Elisha to kill him. This wasn't one-on-one. This was an entire army against one. Or we might say against two because Elijah had a servant with him. And so this whole army goes and surrounds Elijah in his home. And in the morning, the servant wakes up and he opens the door and he looks out and he's terrified. You'd be terrified if there was a whole army of your enemies come to kill you. So he slams the door and he goes inside and he says, Elijah, what are we going to do? And Elijah says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He who is for us is greater than he who is against us or he says those who are with us are more than those who are with them now the servant must have been thinking Elisha's crazy but then Elisha prayed he prayed because he wasn't alone God was with him and he said God open his eyes so he can see and so then the servant opens the door his eyes have been opened and what does he see he sees not just this enemy army in front of his very eyes 
but surrounding them. The mountains are full of the horses and chariots of fire all around. So this was not this human army against two. This was the multitude of the heavenly host, God's army arrayed against mere mortals. Do not be afraid. Beloved, in your fight against sin, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. It's not one-on-one. It's not you against sin. It is the spirit of the living God in you, and he fights for you against the sin in you, and this is a battle he wins. He wins, beloved, by the spirit you can and you will put to death the deeds of the body. Jesus said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So don't try to fight sin in your own power. Don't try to drill through brick with a regular drill when you have a hammer drill. Beloved, don't rely on your own strength. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on God who raises the dead. After all, you've already experienced that resurrection. He has already brought you out of death into life. So you know that he can do this. He's already raised his own son, Jesus Christ. He has already raised countless of believers who now enjoy his presence, free from not only the guilt and power of sin and death, but its very presence. So beloved, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God has the power to do what you do not have. He can do what you can't, and not even death can stop him. Malcolm Muggeridge was a 20th century English journalist, and he, wrote, he once wrote in his journal uh, the way he described the difference between Tolstoy and Augustine. And he said that Tolstoy tried to achieve virtue through the exercise of his will, through what he could do in his own willpower. But Augustine wrote, there is no virtue without a miracle. There's no virtue without a miracle. And Augustine himself, he had experienced that miracle, that miracle of salvation. If you know his story, he had been a slave to the flesh, but God drove those desires from him and gave him a greater love for his Savior, Jesus Christ, a new desire for God. He experienced the miracle of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him, which helped him see that this new life in the Spirit was not just every now and then miraculous, Oh, maybe every now and then God will show up in my life and do something that I don't understand. No, it is every moment miraculous. And beloved, this is true for you and it inspires what in your life? Humility and hope as it leads to holiness. Humility, because you can't take credit for any victory in your life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you what is pleasing in God's sight. And it also produces hope because there's no defeat, no sin, no struggle over which you will finally despair. It's not happening. So humility and hope and it results in holiness. Beloved, just as there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so there's not a single one of you here this morning who are in Christ Jesus who are also not holy and being made holy. The word of God says, for by one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself, he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. So as we go out today, may you rest and trust in the work of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. 
And may God work in you what is pleasing in his sight as he empowers you to put to death the deeds of the body and enables you to set your minds on the things of the spirit. Let's do that together. Amen. 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 Let us pray.